Good morning, Night City, and welcome to the Layer of Secrets podcast. We are here today to uh, recap and have a retrospective over our season three sets of episode four, Cyberpunk Red. Uh, we're not done with the campaign yet, but since season three is closing up, thought we would go ahead and talk about the campaign, talk about our characters, talk about where we want to see things going, um, and... Uh, Anyone have anything to start us off with other than Zoe and Zeke? <laughs> it's always good to get their commentary, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, uh, yeah. yeah, Chris? Well, da- well David. We just need to, co- we just need to, like, for, for the second arc, we just need to add wild dogs into. Sure. <laughs> yeah, be headed into the old city. There could be yep. radioactive wild dogs running around. I just watched Resident Evil exactly. last night for inspiration for the run. There's all those like yep. undead Doberman. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, that's a good preview for our run. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm I don't sorry. like that. <laughs> <laughs> I did run a game uh, back in the Game Master Show ga- days. Uh, we were gaming outside on our deck, and it was at night. And police cars went by, and it happened to get picked up on the audio, but it was, like, perfect for that particular time of the game. Um, <laughs> this, not quite so much. Um, anyway, on a serious note, Yeah, Ken, so let's kick this off. Say... Let's start with, like, like our characters. Uh, it's uh, start with Josh uh, and say, uh, describe your most significant, like, moment of growth or change in your character so far. Oh. Um... <laughs> I think it's when he fell in love by being shot. <laughs> no. um, it's hard to say because uh, he has grown because, I mean, you got to see kind of, especially in the last couple episodes when you got to see his home life, um, you got to see he technically didn't change. He's always kind of been that way. It's just we've never really seen him in his home life until then. Um, what kind of a so was that he really is. I mean, was that something that you had thought up before the game started, or is that something that yeah that I've always changed been, in terms of okay yeah yeah I've always been fascinated with like the like super hard exterior, but then like loves little tiny animals <laughs> like the the Vlad and Rapunzel that collects the tiny unicorns, you know <laughs> like I, I've always loved that kind of like because you never see it coming until it like hits you and you're like oh really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've always like loved that, and then I always thought, what, what would kind of, I, like when we had the big fight at the um, at the the disposal place, I guess. Um, <laughs> like, junkyard. Yeah, at the junkyard. I was like, there's two things that I was thinking. I was like, what would his nemesis look like, and what would the love of his life look like? And then when he when when they had their like little duel, I was like, oh, I think he just found both. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, technically not a huge change, but it was a a nice reveal, I guess, more than a change. Yeah. It's a, it's a moment of growth, per se. Mm-hmm. A character yeah. development, I guess. A, a little bit of depth um, in there. <laughs> how about you, For, Versus the, like, muscle head. Right. <laughs> um, 
Well, when Josh's character uh, killed um, in a way that she didn't feel was needed. Uh, Omen was not happy with killing when she felt like they had a clean getaway. And that's that's her rock, and she's going to she's gonna die on that rock. She felt like they had a clean getaway, and she felt like she could have done it. And she could have driven them out of there because um, there was no helicopter anymore. So she could have put distance between her and that problem. But then there's blood on the ground, and that's a debt that has to get paid kind of a thing. So um, you can't kill people, and that's not a debt. So that created a debt for all of them. And then um, APT was like, meh, it's Tuesday. <laughs> um, that that really changed uh, Omen a little bit because she was really unhappy about that. But But APT was like, it's Tuesday, get over it. <laughs> it was going to happen. We were going to do this. So I don't know. APT's kind of like wisdom in that to not sweat this. I, I don't think it is small stuff, but to not sweat it so much and to just handle it as it comes and not get too reactionary was like, a bonding moment. Uh, Omen was mm -hmm. like, okay, I really respect you now. And you've seen that in a in Omen's reactions. She's, she's really respecting APT and she's putting her like, you're shotgun. Um, she's Omen's not a woman of a lot of words. She's not somebody who connects with her emotions a lot. She's efficient, get it done. And, but when she does things, they're, they may seem kind of small, but she's doing them. So, yeah, that's my you part. Know, um, on APT's part, <clears throat> I have what you could call a rich inner life. And so I have this whole <laughs> backstory to APT before she comes into the game. And um, APT's view on life is terribly pragmatic and bleak because of a tragedy she recently suffered where her girlfriend was killed. And so this job is the first job with other people that she's taken since that happened. And so the bonding that's going on within the group, especially with Omen, but you know, when he, when she's poking fun at Bob, it's, you know, partially <laughs> irritation and partially, almost sibling-like, you know, he, she, she's starting to, you know, she hasn't quite figured out Atlas yet. She hasn't quite figured out Shaken. <laughs> but it's been this slow progression of she wants to be useful. She wants to be respected. And she also knows that there are no light paths in Night City. She's got that kind of bleak, that bleak point of view that you get from edge runners and everything else. So the fact that she's learning to work with people is like the arc that is happening right now. Um, she's also finding that, you know, the fact that her skills are of use to people and she's not just doing it on her own is uh, really important. So again, you know, you kind of, so just, just like, with uh, what Josh was saying, you know, you see a little bit of APT's life, which is 
you know, alone with a bunch of computers in a in a container. Mm. But then mm-hmm. her her background as a former nomad comes out when she goes to the nomad camp, and that's one of the reasons she's bonding with Omen is because this is good and familiar, wistful but also hopeful. So there's there's a lot going on for yeah. APT at the moment. Something she lost and hopefully might be able to regain at some point. Or at least is certainly willing to be, if I say happily melancholic about it, does that make <laughs> sense to you? Um, you know, <laughs> a little bit. just that, that, that kind of warm feeling for something that's gone that you don't think you're going to have again, but it's nice to see for other people. I think they call that see- goth. <laughs> that, that happily melancholic it might it might fit so <laughs> so yeah um i'm really enjoying the game and the character um it's the most i tend to run more than i play so being able to pour my imagination into this character has been really great <laughs> cool and as so i will say as as a game master i could see like that the the, the most of the characters had their their stories were kind of like front and center. We had a, like APT had like kind of moments to shine here and there, and then so Chris and I have been kind of talking on the on the back end about the tragedy and where that's going. And so I think the next arc that I'm my intention is for APT to come much more to the front as oh, yeah. some of that comes into play. But uh, ooh, teaser for the next arc. <laughs> cool. The for Bob. Um, I was kind of wondering how in the heck a media would play in Cyberpunk Red, <laughs> but a fair question. Yeah, yeah, um, and I I think it would have played much differently had Ken not had a background in journalism, mm. um, and like the way I was playing my character has shifted a little bit. Hearing like what you know the the specific questions that Ken you you've been asking me as bob of like um you know what the, what's the next story you're getting in when's when's the story coming and all these other different things um has blended with my reading of um i'm forgetting the name now with spider jerusalem transmetropolitan uh, comic transmetropolitan yeah it's like like actual real journalism versus comic the comic lens of gonzo journalism, you know, blending together um, has really kind of shaped how I've seen the character. Um, and it works in cyberpunk red. Now I don't know how well it would work if the GM didn't have, or, or the player didn't have a background in journalism. You know, it's like, I'm not sure how well that, that, that the media would work. Um, I'd be interested in hearing how other players, played medias in the past um you know it seems like rumors is the big thing for them um because they're definitely not good at combat <laughs> yeah i think well I think as they the can ma- be but i think as a game master i think the key with the media too is that you have to be you have to lean like well for any character but you have to lean into their role right so that you there should be mm-hmm. some sort of media ecosystem in night city and in cyberpunk red in general that you're feeding into that we've been building up with like so you have an editor you have like markets that you're trying to break into there are scream sheets we do talk about the scream sheets right like your adventures show up in the scream sheets so i think we're i guess maybe that's some of my like media background coming into play but like 
making sure that there's an ecosystem for the media to play in. So it's not just random rumor shows up unless your media is more of right. a, like, I'm a guy who's just down in the pub and like, you know, crawling around the streets looking for like little tidbits. But even then, like if you're playing up the, I have a following and I'm trying to do that. Right. Like I think you can look to YouTubers for experience. <laughs> for inspiration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think nowadays with the YouTube and, and all the Instagram, et cetera, influence and stuff, influencers and stuff out there, the role of a media in cyberpunk red could be a little bit different than it used yeah. to be when cyberpunk or like cyberpunk cyberpunk 2020 originally came out hmm. um a little less max headroom right like mm -hmm. that's like a little less max headroom <laughs> yeah um or one minute of like police beating this one guy and putting it on tiktok <laughs> yeah and and honestly like people who played cyberpunk Punk back in the day probably knew about Max Headroom, but Max Headroom was pretty niche back then too. Um, yeah, this is true. Except for like, <laughs> what was it, the Pepsi or Coke commercials that he was on? So yes. Um, the uh, right now. so I guess what was uh, what has been the most surprising plot twist for everybody? I mean, there haven't been huge plot twists, but uh, the, you know, in my mind, like like not not M Night Shyamalan sort of plot, plot twists, <laughs> but you know, there have been some twists and turns. Um, in I, terms of, I don't know if ahead. it's a it's not so much a plot twist, but it was more a delightful thing that Josh did with his character, having Atlas work with the local church. <laughs> yeah. I thought that so one of my criticisms of cyberpunk in general and it's something that I'm writing into my new setting is they completely ignore all religions and all all spiritual stuff now part of that is the nihilistic tone of the genre but that's mm -hmm. not how humans actually are and if humans are going to find hope in a bleak place there's going to be religion involved mm -hmm. And having Josh be this merc who just blew up a bunch of stuff and then go work at the local <laughs> Catholic charity was was really awesome because it shows it reflects an emotional depth to the character that I find lacking in a lot of a lot of cyberpunk. A lot, you know, a lot of it is the, you know, the film noir, you know, the noir style tough as nails, private investigator slash hacker slash solo slash media slash whatever. And really they they don't have much depth. Mm -hmm. It's, it's all, it's all shades of Philip Marlowe all the time, which has its <laughs> place. But I think that having that depth gives us a different view of what cyberpunk can be, because it's really, it's not just about mega corporations and crime it's about hope and resistance. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think that, you know, I know it was maybe just a one-off thing, but I think it opens the door to not only some great plot hooks for Ken, because, you know, someone raids the church or maybe the Catholic Jesuits come into town and there's a thing, <laughs> you know, but it, it, it broadens, it broadens the world beyond the borders of night city. It implies more. 
Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's really, I think that's really <clears throat> great. It's, I felt very similarly about when, when Omen's background had, um, sea nomads, which is a thing in cyberpunk 2013 mm-hmm. and 2020, um, that I just learned about. There's a whole thing. And, and Aaron, I should send you the articles that I've read on this. Um, but a whole thing about the floating cities out on the ocean and the stuff under the water and the fact that there are nomads out on the sea, you know, there's a rich background there that does not really get touched on in cyberpunk red and definitely not 2077. So yeah, definitely not yet. Yeah. Like there, there's, there's like a, a paragraph in the cyberpunk red book about right. it, <laughs> which, you know, I appreciate that Pond Smith and Telsori, and they've only got so much staff that can only do so much. But the, the 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 2013 and 2020 books have a lot of depth about the entire world that our game links into without meaning to, and gives uh, an awful lot that we could go into. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's that's been like like uh, our, our plots have not been turny twisty um, plot surprising. developments right right. right. But the the character developments that imply a greater world to me, I think, are are really interesting. Uh, yeah. I, to kind of piggyback off of that, I I think the the best part about it is the world building that each one of us has done around our particular areas is just like I loved the the greatest thing that or the, I guess the biggest plot twist was I did not think that at the start of that we were going to end up hiding in the nomad camp for like <laughs> for a few days. I didn't see that one coming. I also didn't see us getting a bounty, but you know that's uh, that's here or there. Um, but like to be able to like oh now we're going to build out this little world of this is how the nomads act and we're going to build out this little world about this is what it actually looks like in the hacking world and things like that like when you're actually slicing into stuff and this is the whole world of like we need to get sources we need to talk to people this is how we talk to the people this is who we know these are our contacts and we're building out the world of contacts and on the other side we're also building out the world of well now we have a church and we have a a nice little ecosystem over here and it's I didn't expect the world to be kind of to grow like that. I figured it was just going to be like kind of like um, uh, scum and villainy. We do a mission, we go here, we do a mission, we go here, and like our characters would develop and stuff like that. But I didn't think like our entire world would develop and be built like kind of right before our eyes. And I definitely did not expect a speed skating (laughs) 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 or roller derby. I would say I would say that would be a twist. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, just just the development of the world around us like has been fantastic. And Ken, I mean that that speaks to you too as a GM to just kind of like let us grow. Because I guarantee, yeah. I think just at a certain point, every one of us has been a DM in a game and has like kind of had to build our own worlds. And it's it's nice to like, it's it's very nice to like just let them go, I guess. And like, you want to build it? Go ahead, build it. I don't care. <laughs> right. What is it you're doing? I'm not going to tell you what you're doing. Right? Exactly. Like, no, seriously. What are you doing? How are you reacting mm-hmm. to this? Who is your contact? Right. Like, yep. Rather than me, just like you, still have to have some infrastructure to kind of rip off of but i think it's always great when we can tag like the whole roller derby the whole like rocket blade tournament (laughs) stuff like i had some ideas on that but then we continued to build it out as we went along i think for me it wasn't it could have been 
it could have been the plot twist because it could have taken the campaign in an entirely different way. And maybe if you guys knew just how poor you were when the offer was made, it would have. <laughs> oh, gosh. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> when Tech shows up and is like, be our lapdogs, be our corporate agents, help us infiltrate the makers. And you're like, no, which also sort of ratcheted the tension up for that whole scene. Mm-hmm. But like, right. I really wanted to put that. I love offering, and I think, I think in Cyberpunk this is particularly important, but I love offering tempting... Um, choices to players to be able to say, well, you know, we could go corpo, and like because it forces the dark you, side does have cookies. Right. Right. Well, you know, we could, you know, maybe we could, we could do some more good or whatever, right? Like we're not quite there in the campaign, but I think being able to have the corpos come in and say, hey, look, ten thousand EBs per person is a signing bonus to go turn on the makers. What do you think? Um, I like how it added some tension. And if you guys had accepted, it would have very much flipped how things were going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, and, it and, was and even without, definitely a tempting offer. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely a tempting <laughs> offer. Um, it would have been even more tempting if we knew how little <laughs> that our payout was going to go after the run. <laughs> um, but this, this kind of leads into the next question here which is like what elements of the cyberpunk red world have we found most immersive for me personally i really enjoyed how downtime went i think that was one of the lessons we learned from scum and villainy Mm -hmm. was we should because we kind of um this isn't a criticism of david because i think we all kind of had the same approach to it was we didn't put a lot of emphasis on downtime right like we kind of handled it off screen we didn't role play it Mm -hmm. um because we wanted to get on to the next heist. And so I think very consciously for Cyberpunk Red, I, w- I really wanted to use Cyberpunk. And I think we, David and I had talked about that too. I wanted to use the downtime in Cyberpunk. And so I think it was cool to see how those side jobs accumulated. I think the charts are a little basic, but the role-playing that happened and the idea that like the consequences of that mission playing out over multiple weeks where the bounty starts ratcheting up, mm-hmm. the roller blade derby or the mm-hmm. rocket blade derby is unfolding and that's going to have its own interesting things. Um, additional sort of like contacts and stuff that emerged because Bob was selling stories or APT was making, you know, doing net runs and picking up additional contacts. Like I really liked that the world, you got to live in the world for a month and then also realize just how terribly, terribly poor you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. And, uh, and you, you mentioned that the, the tables were kind of sparse and I think, you know, depending upon how you're playing, either downtime is going to be really quick and you're just going to roll on those tables or you're going to expand beyond those tables and it becomes yeah. a source for new new games or character development. So, And it can go between, you know, on a cycle between those things. Um, you know, we actually have to thank one of our, one of our listeners out there who was like, hey, uh, during Scum and Villainy, it's like, hey, I was really interested in hearing about downtime. Can you guys do that in the future? And so that was actually the impetus for Ken and I to talk about it and to include it in Cyberpunk Red. So... Um, that was pretty cool. So, um, I agree. Go ahead. I agree. The, 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 the downtime thing and just the kind of improv way that we've been handling things. Yes. And <laughs> yes. And yes. Mm-hmm. And, and it just watching there's the, the happiest thing in, in my entire life is watching these stories get woven together from nothing. I mean, just, 
you know, Ken will throw an idea out there and suddenly Omen wants to go do roller derby. And that means that <laughs> APT is going to hack the skates and, and just, you know, and, 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 and this, this thing forms that this emergence, the story emerges. It's not top down. It emerges from the actions. And I think that's really, really cool to watch. And I see it more here than I have in like, certain big name fantasy role-playing games I've played mm -hmm. um, where it tends to be more plot driven. You're on a trail. You need to go from here to here, to here, to here. You know, this has a lot more of an open world. feel. I think that's also depends on if you're running a module or if you're running uh, a home game that is just created every week or, you know, maybe it's a couple weeks planned in the future. Um, but you know, I, that's the way that I've normally seen things is if as a GM, and I, I think Ken's doing this too, is uh, he's definitely doing it with the roller derby side of things, but like seeing what the players do and adjusting the world and, and where that plot line is going depends on the player's actions. So mm -hmm. the players have real agency and real effects yep. on the worlds. It's one of the things that I always disliked about a lot of MMOs and things like that is, you know, it's like, Oh, I, you know, I killed this, you know, huge humongous dragon, you know, last week is like the terror of the entire world. Oh, I did that too. You know, or, <laughs> yeah. and, or I killed the dragon and yet nothing in the MMO changes, you know, mm -hmm. it, yeah. we have consequences to our actions. Yeah. And it's, so. it's, again, it's one of the reasons I love the, the tabletop role playing with actual people. Mm -hmm. is that these things grow naturally and i will be very sad if this ever game if this game like ends after like six more episodes <laughs> I, I, I i've come to really enjoy this world <laughs> i think the, the other thing i enjoyed i i agree was uh this is like the the opposite of scum and villainy right where there was no heist planning and now there's lots of heist planning and so hopefully that scratched aaron's itch i think i now understand aaron better as a role player <laughs> uh -huh. i know it's it's scum and villainy there was some frustration what do you mean we're skipping all the planning part well we got all the planning part this time so um but i think that was fun like seeing how like aaron you were able to bring in the nomads right and like there were many different ways you guys could have gone to take down the, to do the heist right to get the black box tech but yeah um so that was cool, actually doing the heist planning and efficiently too. Like, I guess the other thing is you guys don't haven't gone bonkers with it. Like, True. like four hours to plan. And you mean like four hours of just planning? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I like when I was in college and playing, uh, not cyberpunk. Uh, I was playing Shadowrun back then because um, evidently I wanted more magic in my cyberpunk, um, <laughs> and. It was one of those things that we would spend a lot of time because it was fun to do. But like in this case, we only have so much time to play um, for a variety of reasons. One, because it's the show, but also we have lives and, and things like that. And uh, outside of gaming, um, I should say, we, we have lives in, in and out of gaming. But it's one of those things where I'm also okay with not every contingency being covered um, <laughs> and being forced to come up with alternate plans when things don't go the way we thought, um, especially because in, in Shadowrun, 
we would plan the heck out of things and things would always go sideways anyway <laughs> in a lot of those runs. Um, and not because the GM was, was throwing weird stuff at us um, to thwart the plans that we made, but just, you know, stuff didn't go quite as planned. It wasn't like, Oh, well, all, all your plans that you made are out the window because I completely changed the run out from under you because I'm the GM. You know, it wasn't like that. It was actually just here is something that would actually happen believably in the game that throws that, that monkey wrench into the plans. And now we have to scramble to figure out, you know, the next spot. And, and so I'm okay with not having, you know, five-year plans to do this next, to do this <laughs> next step of our run. And, and I, I have to say, like, if you were, if you were really like good planners and stuff, um, would you be edge runners? <laughs> right? like if you were, <laughs> if you were true. good at like, you know, living your lives and being good disciplined individuals who are thinking through, thinking through their actions, would you be edge runners? Right. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm going like to say, plan. <laughs> I'm going to say maybe yes, because sometimes you just get bad luck and sometimes <laughs> well, you start true. out in a bad place. You know, sometimes you just don't have, um, you know, sometimes you're not born with a silver spoon in your mouth and it's really hard to dig yourself out of the gutter, even though you're super intelligent, uh, and careful and thoughtful in your planning. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. And sometimes you have poor impulse control tattooed across your forehead. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Or a rocket launcher that you really want to test out. Yes. And the rest of your, and the and almost all of the rest of your team really wants you to test it out. Too. <laughs> there was a hint of peer pressure in there. There was more than a hint of peer pressure. It might have been out of character peer pressure, but there was, a, there was more than a hint of peer pressure. <clears throat> all right. Um, Ken, um, what have been your favorite moments to narrate or facilitate so far in the game? Um, that's a, uh, I don't know. I think, I think I've actually kind of like covered them, you know, I think being able to the whole, the whole run up to the meeting with the makers, people who like, you know, so there were a couple of parts that stood out to me as just fun from a role-playing perspective where things could have gone very like violent 2027 sort of, uh, action so i think when you guys met at um tom's diner and you were meeting with the makers in the first place and the makers were like these people who like we void warranties right so i loved having that um uh, totally like basically stole it from uh Vervinge and uh rainbow's end but um the idea that you have this makers enclave that is voiding warranties was great the fact that there was a bunch of uh um Gang, there were gang members outside who didn't understand what voiding warranties meant for their smart weapons. <laughs> and then you guys came into conflict with them, right? And so, like, you're in between the makers and these guys who are like, we gave you guns and you ruined them. And they're like, no, you gave us guns and we fixed them. Um, but now you can't shoot straight because you never could in the first place. That could have gone <laughs> super duper violent. And, and you oh, guys, yeah. like, it was an interesting yeah. role playing opportunity, right? And so, mm -hmm. I thought that was super fun and it helped build out some of the environment i loved the whole of the like the negotiations when you got to the junkyard and the setup um for the heist and um that part was pretty cool i think um 
and I and I and I do really I did really enjoy the whole the the drama of the Zeta Tech ship airship kind of like showing up at the end when you guys almost had the black box. You're almost free. You're almost out. It felt very much like a thing from like Heat or um or like any like Tarantino movie or whatever. Like you were almost free and or, or Fargo, right? Like you're almost clear. You could have gotten away clean. <laughs> There's mm -hmm. the rocker launcher and there's poor <laughs> impulse control and, like, you know, um, being able to set that up and to have the drama of it coming in and sort of the tension and the nice cliffhangers between the episodes. I, I think that was my favorite part. I think it was perfect yeah. impulse control, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did exactly I think, what uh, you wanted to do. So. <laughs> those, uh, those gangers that we met outside of Tom's diner, I think kind of helped me define Bob, whose mouth got them out of trouble and then almost <laughs> back into trouble. Because, you know, he just can't help making fun of people mm -hmm. when they're acting stupid, um, but, you know, is able to talk, talk their way out of things. But just he does have a certain amount of poor impulse control himself. You know, it's like, okay, we're out of it, but I could make fun of them more. <laughs> and they wouldn't really well, realize like... that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, let's see. What is uh, some future aspirations here? What are your hopes for your characters in the campaign in future sessions? And are there any specific storylines or character arcs? that you're eager to pursue. This is out there for everybody. I want to hear what Ken has to say first. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you guys should go. I mean, I, I think, you know, so then there, the, I do have like, uh, the first arc was, was, uh, was really sort of like prelude. And I will say, I thought I could get a lot more story in, in the time that we had. Um, because what, what I ran was basically like one adventure I had written and it just kind of stretched out as like we found interesting things to talk about and we got mm -hmm. into downtime. So I thought I was going to get through mm -hmm. like three or four things and move things along much more quickly. Not that that's a, a bad thing. I think it went at the pace that it needed to go at. But, you know, I had measured out the um, like the, the, the beat chart as laid out in the book, which is helpful for like establishing the beats for the story. And I think it's just that those beats played out over a longer period of time. Um, mm -hmm. part two, we'll get into an actual, there'll be more, uh, of a, a story, I guess, or mm -hmm. there will be a, a more definitive arc that is happening, whether or not you guys are along for the ride. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of wondering about the beat chart. Like every group plays things differently and, you know, we tend to get into a fair amount of role-playing and then, of course, combat in Cyberpunk Red feels a little bit more like uh, like D and D type combat or older D and D type combat, where it takes a little longer, um, you know, to to get through combat. And so, I kind of wonder what the ideal beat chart would look like. Like, what kind of game would that be? And is that is that type of game a game we would enjoy? Um, you know, some people will totally enjoy it, but that doesn't mean necessarily that we would enjoy it. Um, you know, we play thing, we might play it differently. So I think also from play testing, we know that, that combat is deadly. 
Oh yeah. Like, mm-hmm. You get off a few lucky shots, they get a few lucky shots. Net runners are, are you're dead. Yeah. Like the edge runners are dead straight up. Yep. Right. Or you it is entirely possible that we may have never gotten the Josh, the, the, uh, um, shake and <laughs> oh, bake yeah. church scene, um, had the critical rolled a little bit differently. Yeah. Right. That would, as far as critical role or critical injuries go, that was a pretty light one, especially since <laughs> yeah. I didn't have to move anyway. <laughs> yeah. You could have lost an arm or a leg in that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm. I'm, I'm then we could have. That would have been might have been interesting though, because then we might have been able to go to the maker enclaves and their like biological hacking sort of thing, oh, and no. gotten a new arm or leg for shake and bake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, free from any corporate new possibilities, right? Like a religious ceremony amongst the nomads as we mourn mm-hmm. the passing of shake and bake, right? Like, <laughs> so I am curious to hear what you guys hope to do with your characters going forward. Besides, get out of a cube. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear Erin because we haven't heard from her for an, in a while. Um, I'm interested to see if Omen can resolve her problem with Shake and Bake. Uh, part of why the issue with the whole breaking the clean getaway was such a problem for her is because Omen comes from family. And when you screw over one of us, you screw over all of us. Um, And that is part of what really got to her was it wasn't just him that he screwed. It was all of us that now carry that, that debt. And so I'm kind of interested if she can resolve that because if, Family also means that you carry the other person's weight without any, you know, holding it against them. Uh, you're, you're with them no matter what. So there's a deep loyalty that even though he screwed up, she's going to have his back. She's not going to leave him out to dry, but she might punch him in the face. <laughs> I think the fun part about that, too, is... Omen hasn't really talked to sh- <laughs> hasn't really talked to him about it. That's either. true. You haven't you haven't <laughs> gone to, like Bob knows, APT knows, but you haven't actually you know like Omen well, hasn't directly confronted Shakespeare. Atlas has that. no idea. <laughs> yeah, APT kind of put a little bit of a a, a fire blanket. On her, you know, with the, eh, it's Tuesday. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking about Omen as a seafaring person. And mm-hmm. it's not, space is a premium there. So having big blowout emotional temper tantrums on a submarine or a ship would not be very kosher to productive sea life, in my opinion. You, you really can't go and have a temper tantrum and an emotional yeah. fit because um, you just don't have the space to walk away from one another and cool off, I, you know. Um, so I can see Omen burying a lot of that fire and APT also helped with, you know, it's Tuesday. Get over it, girl. Um, <laughs> so I can kind of, you know, I, I thought about those, but does she still carry a bit of a poison seed about that? It isn't 
it hasn't come home to roost yet. Um, she sees the danger, but and the bounty keeps going up, but they mostly keep going up on on shake and bake. <laughs> um, I think she's waiting for her moment when she can, when the moment crafts that she can help, you know, shake and bake realize that taking a life has consequences. Even if, and that's really the message she wants, is that you don't take lives without there being a debt. And you really have to think about it um, before you do it. Does the fact that he was the only one that came out of there with an injury <laughs> soften <laughs> that up? Like, like, yeah, you did something stupid and you look what happened. <laughs> no, that's actually kind of just chance. It could have been anybody that got that injury. <laughs> <laughs> they were doing something they were doing something they were doing an operation any one of them could have been wounded um True. so know that that's just a consequence of doing a mission um the the lasting consequence of there's blood on the ground there's a debt that's owed and it's owed by all of us and now we're gonna have to see it through somehow um that's the problem hmm. See, now me as a player, I thought, oh, well, I got injured and everything like that. So maybe that's why she hasn't come and like said, like, what were you thinking? Like done the back of the head slap, you know? <laughs> I thought it was because, well, he did get hurt and, you know, maybe bird syndrome. <laughs> I think there was a little bit of that. You can't, you can't kick somebody when they're down. <laughs> <laughs> There, there is probably a slap in the back of the head coming. But she's waiting for a moment of, see, see, this is what you get. That would be an okay. interesting conversation. I'm, I'm going to say we're going to let's let's leave it at that. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, wherever you guys happen to be listening or watching this, you know, like, subscribe, leave a review, comments. Please leave comments because we want to talk with you guys. Um, if you go to LayerOfSecrets.com, all our links are there. You can even join our Discord and, and ask us stuff directly. And uh, we're taking, given scheduling and such, we're taking a break during the month of December, and we will be back in 2024. So we're still doing recording stuff. We're taking, getting a backlog um, so that we can still do this weekly thing. But thanks, everybody, and we'll see you soon. You guys ready? <laughs> the dogs are ready. The dogs are ready. <laughs> you couldn't have timed it better, David. That was awesome. You can't write this kind of comedy. I'll, I'll put that in as a blooper at the end. Of the <laughs> you, you guys ready? Oof. <laughs>